welcome to the Mindwaves podcast. I'm your host, Rosie, and in each episode I'll be sharing positive news, stories and information about mental health in Greater Glasgow and Clyde. This is the first in our three-part series looking at the effects of the menopause on mental health and well-being. We will be talking to three women with different experiences of the menopause. The NHS describes the menopause as when periods stop due to lower hormone levels. This can happen naturally or because of medical procedures like removing ovaries or chemotherapy. Today we are speaking to Maureen Gilmore. My name's Maureen, I'm a community correspondent for Mindwaves. I was a nurse um, for 34 years in psychiatry. Um, I retired to Real Health about six years ago now. I've got two kids who are both adults now. Um, I'm separated, I've got my own place now. And I manage fairly well now. I suffer from PTSD, which has some, the symptoms are more depression, anxiety, flashbacks. Um, and I came into wine. Mind waves must be about four or five years ago now, and I found them a great help. Um, and I do some writing for them. I'm now the chairperson. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with how the menopause started for you? When I was 44, maybe 43, 44, I've had really heavy, heavy periods throughout my whole life since I was 12, and eventually um, I'd gone to my GP saying that. The periods were getting unmanageable again, and they suggested going for a MIA, which is a microwave endometrial ablation, where they burn the lining of your room with um, microwaves, um, which sounded great because you either have a very, very light period or you have no period at all. Um, and at that stage in my life, I thought that's that's perfect. So the preparation for that is injections to put you into like a false menopause thickens the lining of your womb that puts you into false menopause. So you do get some mild symptoms like flushing, headaches, but other than that, I had no other real symptoms. I went for the MIA and from that day on, I had no bleeding whatsoever. It was really successful. But a couple of years later, I found that I was starting to get symptoms, um, some of which I put down to other things going on in my life at the time. But I did start to the flushings get worse and noticed that I was sweating a lot more, insomnia up during the night, peeing more. And there were other symptoms, like, like I say, that I didn't really relate to menopause because my mum had a really bad menopause. But she had bad mood swings, which I expected to experience, which I didn't have. So I'd gone back to my GP when I was about 14 and said, look, I think I'm getting into menopause now which they basically said, oh, no, you're far too young. Did some blood tests. They come back and they said it was perimenopausal and that the symptoms would get worse, but they would check again in six months. So back in six months' time, and they say, Jerry, I think you're, you're in the menopause now. And that was the sort of beginning of it, if you like. Did you experience any symptoms that you weren't expecting and that you would maybe, you think that maybe other people should be more aware of that this might happen to them? Oh, definitely. Because when I went back to my GP and told me I was in the menopause and we discussed options, um, because of my family history and my history, they weren't able to offer me HRT or anything like that. So they referred me to a gynaecologist. Um, I went to the hospital 
and she was amazing. She was really, really informative. She sat with me and she asked me about the symptoms I had. And I told her the usual ones, but I also told her I was taking... When I started to flush, I didn't always go bright red, but my heart would start to race. I would start to shake. Um, my stomach would churn. And my, my mind would just go blank. I could be sitting at meetings or sitting with interviewing patients. And I would just... My words would disappear. I would forget what I was saying. Um, I had joint pains. My hair was really brittle. It wouldn't do anything. There was lots of other wee things that... And I'd, I'd say to her, I don't know if it's related. She sat with a list about 50 symptoms and I think I had nearly every one of them apart from the mood swings, which was the only one I expected. Mm-hmm. But the things like the panic, it was like a panic attack. It's that initial adrenaline surge where you just think, I, I, I need to get out of here. I, I, I can't sit here. The, the sweats were so bad that they would be running into my face and my, into my eyes. Um, I would sit with, Baby wipes or handkerchiefs or a fan. The joint pains were really bothersome because I used to do a lot of walking, I used to do a lot of swimming. And I would come out of swimming, my legs would be shaking, my shoulders would be killing me. And she said, yeah, yeah, it's all hormonal. She said, but it's all related. Dry mouth, urinating more, stomach churning. Um, the palpitations, I think, were the hardest to deal with. And because at that point, I didn't have any other symptoms of PTSD or my mood was okay. Everything was fairly normal work-wise and home-wise. But the thought blocking, the fogging, totally losing simple words. And she said, yeah, it's all related. She says, because some of it, although because you're up during the night sweating so much, and so I would up during the night sometimes and have to have a shower, I would sleep on a towel to see if I have to change the bed. And she says, there's a sleep disturbance because it's own issues that coincide with the symptoms of menopause. So you've got all of the other difficult things to deal with mentally with sleep deprivation, but also because you're so focused on the symptoms, you're not able to concentrate properly. I found it really difficult to concentrate at meetings or when I was assessing people because my mind would just go blank. And that was really difficult to deal with. I never, I would never take a notepad in when I was assessing somebody because I was good, could always remember the conversations and I would later type it all up myself. I got to the point where I was having to take notepads and apologise to people who hadn't taken notes. I'd be sitting at meetings, big, big meetings, 40 plus people, and I would be finding into the meeting, the sweats would start, palpitations would start, thought blocking, and I just found it really difficult to cope with things. You were working in healthcare. Did your career experience have any effect on the way that you approached these symptoms? I think initially with the panic attacks and well, the adrenaline surge felt like a panic attack. I was using an awful lot of mindfulness and relaxation techniques thinking that would help. But because it's more physical thing than a mental thing, it's so difficult because you can't stop the symptoms from happening. If you're anxious and you start feeling your symptoms beginning, you can normally control them and alleviate some of them because a lot of it is, in, is, is mentally in your, your head but because this is more a physical thing you've just got to go with it. so I felt as if I'd failed somehow because I couldn't get on top of it I was offered no medication whatsoever because there was nothing they could give me the gynecologist and I sat down and talked about treating things symptomatically I started to take like wet wipes in uh, and to meetings and all which is really not professional but I was have to keep apologizing to people when I felt I'm sharing things with people that they don't really need to know 
I would sit with a fan, wet wipe fan, that would cool me down a wee bit. I would put air con in at meetings, but then you'd have people complain it was too cold. I would have to excuse myself from meetings to go and wash my hands and face cold water. So some of the things I experienced, I was able to deal with mentally because I knew what it was and I knew I just had to go with it. But I had to take in things like handkerchiefs and a fan. And because, I mean, it's very obvious when you're sweating, there's, there's signs of things and symptoms of things. And the signs are things that people see. People see you going absolutely scarlet. And the worst thing they can do is say, oh, you're taking a flush and you're bright red. Say, well, thanks very much. But I know that. <laughs> I'm very aware that this is happening you know, to me. Thank you. <laughs> and you're sitting right and the sweat's running off your face onto the paper. And people were kind of pass your handkerchiefs. It's fine, I've got one. So a lot of the time, they're trying to deal with it with as much dignity as possible without sharing that part of your life with people. Because not everybody accepts it or understands it at all. Because it isn't something at that point people were open and talking about more. And they would just put it down, oh, it's taking a flush and oh, it's a menopause, and as if it's an excuse. And you're thinking, well, that's really healthy, thanks very much. Some of it was I was able to deal with. Um, like I say, put a towel down in my bed at night. I bought a chillow pillow, which is like a gel mat, which would be fine, and I would go off to sleep. But then I'd wake up and that heated up. I'd be absolutely soaking. I'd have to get up and get changed. Things like wearing cotton um, nightwear just to soak up the sweat more than anything else. And then once you're sweating so much that you feel damp all the time, and then if it was during the winter, you were getting a chill because it would get cold. Mm. Having a fan on in the room's fine, but it's noisy. And, you know, my husband would complain, oh, it's cold in here, there's a draft going. So you're, you're trying to compensate for other people as well, which is, you shouldn't have to do it, but we all do it. So you're simultaneously under more stress from your own body than you, you may have been at any point in your life. And now you're also being expected to do the emotional labor for everyone else at, at a time when that's really putting such a strain on your resources. Mm-hmm. And I think you, your own head's all over the place. Mm. And although I didn't get moved, I would get frustrated because I couldn't get my words out. I would have to reread assessments, retype things, change things. I would read over them three or four times, whereas before I would came out an, an assessment type up and that would be it. But I was constantly going back and checking over things because I would be thought blocking or I would just lose words. So, And then you're very, you're very mindful of other people as well, trying to compensate for that. And you can see all that. Stress is it's a really high stress job. And then you're adding to that stress with all the issues you've got. Then you're adding to it again by trying to make sure everybody else is comfortable with what you're experiencing. Which sounds, sounds crazy, but it doesn't suit everybody. Sometimes you just have to bite your tongue and go with the flow. And you miss so much because your head's all over the place. Did you notice that the menopause and these physical effects were also having an effect on your mental health? I think the sleep was a big thing. The thought block, and I had to, when I, I was a CPN, so I'm out in the community all the time. I'm driving all the time. So I was very focused on my driving and I found that really stressful. I found the strain of trying to carry on with a really busy workload, trying to carry on the clinics that I had, trying to keep everything going, trying to balance family life, work life. I was very much on my own with the kids a lot of the time because of things that happened at home. So I think the strain, the lack of sleep, the symptoms of panic, it's very draining. And my days off, I would I would be exhausted. Absolutely exhausted. So 
I think there was a lot of guilt there as well because I used to be very active with the kids, do a lot with them. And mm. it came to weekends, I was exhausted. So it would be, what can I do that's going to take the least amount of physical and emotional effort? Your social life stops to a certain point because you don't want to go and meet with your friends and things when you're so tired, you're drained, you're sweating constantly, you're sore, um, the joint pain. If you wanted to go in, my hair just did what it wanted. So you started to kind of avoid things to a certain point because you didn't want to have to make excuses to people when you're out or have to look after other people because of your symptoms. So you do start along that avoidance route. Your mood dips because you're not getting the same fulfilment that you would normally get because I love spending time with friends and family doing things with the kids. So that has an effect on you emotionally and mentally because you sort of feel as if you're stepping out of society a wee bit. So while this is happening, while you're feeling isolated, did you receive any support from your workplace? No, no, very little. I had to speak to my boss because at the meetings I was having to leave numerous occasions because of the sweating and the flushing and drink, go and get more water because you're thirsty all the time because you're losing so much fluid, which also means that you're peeing all the time. And I spoke to my boss and I said, look, I'm really struggling um, at the big meetings because they'd last up to two hours. Uh, there's a lot of people in the room. It gets very warm anyway. But when you're constantly having these surges of adrenaline and the panic feelings, sweating, the concentration's not great. Um, and she basically says, well, let me know what you need. And I says, well, if I could take minutes or as long as they're okay with me leaving the room and the air con and things. But again, she's responsible for the team as well. So she's got to look after everybody else. I don't know that I got a great deal of support at all because I don't know that they were adequately educated is probably the best way to put it. And there's a lot of male staff in the team as well, a lot of younger females. So they don't always appreciate what you're going through. I don't think anybody does unless you've actually been there. It's like everything else. But the more education that's out there, I think the more invaluable that will be in helping people cope with the symptoms that they have. Mm -hmm. I was off with um, depression because of the sleep deprivation and all things that were going on at home and things that were going on at work. I'd been off with depression for a couple of, couple of weeks. Um, and I went back to work. And we're sitting at a team meeting and my boss, oh, it's nice to see you back. And... Uh, one or two of my colleagues made comments about, oh, cool, she's back. It's just trying to go for depression. I'd be sitting at meetings and I'd be sweating and things and people would constantly draw attention to it despite the fact that I asked them not to. I would be given an awful lot more work than my other colleagues because I had experience at a senior level. So I would be given things to deal with that none of them had dealt with before, like suicide and reports and things like that with other teams, it's meant travelling to other teams. And despite the fact I'd said to my boss, I'm really struggling, thought blocking, and I explained it all to her, and she would give me additional work to do, which didn't help any. I mm. um, was given clinics to establish, which is a lot of work. And her answer to that was she gave me a nurse assistant to help out, which was fine, but she couldn't do the type of things that I needed to do. And um, so I just felt as if, my workload was getting heavier and heavier, um, despite the fact I had spoken to her. The comments that were being made just didn't address at all. I just felt it was just getting worse. And anything that did come up, it would be comments like, oh, you better not say I'm worried now, that's too much a drive for her, because I've made comments that I kind of, you know, 
struggling with driving in the car. Um, so there would be snide comments made, which I would just ignore. But um, people would laugh at it and think, oh, yeah, rather than defend you. And I thought, well, do you know what I mean? I'm going to waste my time. Because mm-hmm. it's ignorance more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't think I got a great deal of support at work at all. Did you receive any support from other areas of your life? Like I said, the gynaecologist was really good. Um, and she gave me some pointers. They started me on um, a low-dose antidepressant, which, in the vaccine, which is used for symptoms of menopause where there are this adrenaline surge because it helps with symptoms of anxiety. And I'd taken that for a couple of weeks, but the side effects were just horrendous. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm competing with other symptoms in my body. I really don't want to add to it because I don't think it helped in the long run. Um, so I'd stop that. My family were really good. Some of my friends were really good, although they hadn't experienced menopause. They were just beginning to start menopause. So then I found I was getting a bit more empathy from them because they knew where I had been and where I was at and how it started. So I got a little bit more understanding, a bit more help from them. When other people in your life started going through the menopause, did that help with that feeling of isolation? Yeah. Because a lot of the time they would, they would say to me, oh, I've been up all night and I'm absolutely exhausted. And I'm saying, look, sleep when you can, because it, it gets to the point you, you just take your head off a wall. If you can't sleep, get up, go and get a drink of water, a cup of tea or something, and then go back to your bed, sleep on a towel or, you know, change your bed if it gets damp, the chill pillow, get something like that, keep a fan at your bed. So I was giving them more advice, but it was nice to know that they were experiencing something similar. Um, a few of them got HRT, which was a godsend for them. I'm glad it's out there. I'm just annoyed that I couldn't take it. And I think, there's, I mean, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of women out there that can't take HRT. And HRT comes with its own side effects and its own problems. So I think it's something every woman's got to judge for themselves, whether it's something they want to do. They would say to me, oh, and that's flushing my heart's racing and blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, well, I know what that is. And this is how I dealt with it. This is other ways to deal with it. And it was really good that, you know, we could help each other, if you like. But it was nice to know I wasn't alone. I think that's a topic that comes up a lot for various areas of health and mental health, that people, when they no longer feel that they are the only ones experiencing it, that can be so comforting because you don't feel isolated you're part of a community you're part of a network and also you as a as a nurse as a compassionate person you were somebody who was used to being able to help did it feel like you were kind of getting your role back somebody people could come to yeah definitely I think it helped and as much as I knew that I hadn't lost um, my role and it was a bit easier to cope with that I could teach other people give them tools to do with. So I think that was quite useful. And also a couple of my patients that I'd had on my caseload for a long time started experiencing things as well. So it was good for me to say to them, well, that's not part of your depression or part of your illness. That's additional to, and this is how you can cope with it. Um, I would take them to well women clinics, I would take them to their GP, because a lot of the GPs are quite, it's your depression, it's your anxiety, it's your it's part of your mental health it's, it's part of your me- mental illness and I'm saying no it's not no I've known this person for 10 years and this is no part of their illness this woman's in this age could you do a hormone check please 
you know, so I was quite, I was an advocate for them and I'm saying to them, look, don't think you're getting worse, don't think you're going to end up back in hospital. This isn't part of that. So that education in itself was quite useful to me because mm. I could then relate to, relate to them and say, well, no, it's not part of that. You know, I'm doing my relaxation stuff, nothing's working and this anxiety's getting worse. Well, no, I think it's maybe your age. Get your GP to do a hormone check. Well, what can you offer them? What can you take with the medication they're on? It's not going to affect that medication. So that that was quite good. Wonderful. I'm glad that you were able to find that aspect of your identity again in this space. Are there things that you would like to see put in place to support people experiencing the menopause, either in, in the healthcare system or in workplaces? I think there needs to be a lot more education particularly in workplaces, because if you're up all night, I mean, I'm glad I wasn't in the wards because I started at nine o'clock and I, occasionally my boss would let me come in a bit later if she knew I hadn't slept for a couple of nights. I would say, look, I've got nothing on first thing, I'll come in at half nine, finish at half four or half five. And I think we were fairly flexible with that, depending on the workload. But I think other places, like in the wards, are starting at half seven. If you've been up all night and you're trying to get into work for half seven, having not slept at all, and knowing that you're not going to function to your best capacity in work, you feel you're putting other people at risk as well. So I think any type of job, even if it's a desk job, there needs to be more empathy towards things like having to get up and leave your desk to go and cool down, having the facilities to go and get a glass of water or fans in situ or something that's going to help, having the education that, right, okay, they're not going to be on the ball 24-7 or you know, the, the full work day that they're there. Mornings might be worse, but it might be letting people be a wee bit early because they're exhausted with dealing with all these symptoms going on in, in their body. So I think education is a big, big part of it. I think the healthcare profession now, certainly my GPs are a lot better. They're a lot more on the ball. A lot of the, the GP surgeries now have well-known clinics that you can attend for everything from early age, starting prepubescent, if you like, starting periods and help with that, all the way through pregnancy, right through menopause. I think there are a lot more things coming on stream now. I've noticed there's enough from the Bank of Scotland and the TSB, a lot of these big places, big businesses are doing more education on the menopause. And it was only yesterday I saw it on the TV and it was the government and they've got MPs to wear this hot vest. I said, has that pop waistcoat? With a, da- with a control on it and when you switch it on it imitates flushing wow so um, the programme I watched yesterday on BBC the guy that was sitting with the one actually said I can't do this anymore I need to turn this off wow. because it was mimicking a flush so his body would surge with heat the sweats would start and he, his heart would start racing because of the fast effect of the heat he had it on for an hour and I thought can I do this you know and the woman that had invented it if you like was laughing <laughs> and she said we've had an hour an hour and I think these tools it's like the pregnancy bump belly that they get for men to see what it's like to be pre- heavily pregnant mm-hmm. I think this hot vest is an amazing idea uh-huh. because if, if they have it on during the night they'll know what it's like to wake up absolutely roasting sweat lashing off you you know that these things can only be useful and I think there is a lot more coming on stream now than there ever was before. I think just basic education mm-hmm. and letting people know. And I think particularly where women get mood swings, understanding that this is not them. 
Yeah. It's part of what they're experiencing. And although I didn't get mood swings, I would find myself getting a bit snappy because I hadn't had any sleep or I had a disrupted sleep. And I can only imagine what it must be like for women to fly off the handle and have the mood surges and the mood swings. And you know you're doing it, but you can't stop it. What would you say to someone beginning their menopause journey? I think initially is get to your GP. You need to have it in black and white and know yourself that, yeah, what you're experiencing is either perimenopause or menopause. And they give them all these stupid, t- like perimenopause, then you're menopause, and then you're postmenopause. And then you're, at the end of the day, your hormones are all over the place. Your hormones are depleting, your ovaries are shrinking. You know, there's a lot going on in your body that you don't fully appreciate. And if you're someone that's been lucky enough not to have experienced any other issues, or any other symptoms of poor mental health, I think it's, it's a rude awakening. And I think it would be quite frightening for people who have managed to keep an even keel. And I think initially knowing, right, okay, you don't have to be 50, 60 to be in the menopause. Women as young as 35 to 40 can get in the menopause. It's just dependent on their biology. And I think GPs are a lot less not aggressive, but a lot of I my GP was, don't be stupid, don't be stupid, very dismissive. And I think that's the Bell Women Clinics are very good for that. They'll say, okay, we'll check your hormones, we'll see what's going on. You know, they won't really question it. And I think initially, the sort of biological aspect of it and knowing, yeah, this is what's going on in your body. Because then you can get more literature, you can read up more, you can speak to people that you know who have experienced it or have been through similar. And I think just knowing that, yeah, they're not losing your mind and, you're not experiencing some form of other illness. This is just a biological part of being a woman. And then it happens to everybody, irrelevant of what the situation is. They will experience some symptoms, menopause. Just look for what help you can get. But like I say, for, because of the prescribing side of it, I think your GP and your women clinic's the first port of call. There are an awful lot of other alternative therapies that can help, like relaxation techniques, like having a spa day, being in a swimming pool, even if you are flushing your way anyway and you're in a cool water, yeah. it helps. You know, you might not have the energy and your bones might be sore and your muscles might be sore, but at least you're, you're cool. You know, I think it's, there's a lot more out there in the sex education in schools. Parents are a lot more open. People are a lot more open with these things. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you've got help out there. Speak to your family, speak to your friends. Let them know that, look, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not going off my head. I'm just not sleeping. I'm flushing a lot, you know, and discuss it with them. Because people will come up with suggestions and they're not all daft suggestions. And my friends, it was like, baby wipes in a fan. And I'm like, look, baby <laughs> wipes in a fan. Use the baby wipes. Keeps your face moist, takes the sweat away. But when you fan, it's cold on your skin, you know. Yeah. Just simple things like treating things symptomatically and coming up with ideas. Oh. It's so much better than having to struggle on your own. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us about this, Maureen. If people would like to hear more from you, where could they go? Mindwaves. I'm in the Mindwaves group. There's loads of different information on there. As you know, one of our friends has written a book on menopause, which is on the the website too, I think. I'm sure it's on there. Mm -hmm. So Mindwaves is an excellent place to be. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us. It's been a pleasure to chat to you about this. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you would like to appear in the podcast, or if you need assistance with your podcast, then get in touch by email. Podcasts at mindwavesnews.com.